Blog Talk Radio. Hello, 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 everyone. You are on live with the real Jenny. Oh, wait a minute. This is the Jennifer Tivo show. That's right. Just thought I'd get you. Uh, there, apparently, I had some fun with playing with technology and trying to have a new show intro, but I guess I clicked, clacked, and clocked too long and got my same intro back from The Real Jenny, but this really is the new show. This this should have been the new intro. <laughs> much more dramatic, right? That wakes you up at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. Welcome, everyone, to the Jennifer Tebow Show. Uh, This is Jennifer Tebow. Uh, Thank you again for those who are dialing in live and listening. I know that it's early in the morning and it's going to be something to get used to, but I wanted to start the week out right, and I wanted to be able to have our whole week ahead of us and remix the show and do some kind of fun and interesting things. So if this is your first time uh, logging in on the computer or listening by phone, uh, then then welcome. Uh, this show was previously called The Real Jenny. That was the first intro that you heard mistakenly. I have to get upset at my program manager, but that's kind of me too. Uh, but... Uh, The Real Jenny was a show that we had specialized segments every week. There were three segments, a Monday, a Tuesday, and a Wednesday. Monday was kind of the catch-all, the hot topics, current events. Uh, Tuesday was specialized specifically on sports. I had a regular co-host, Mr. Damon Allen. And then Wednesday was designed to be this activism uh, segment that focused on some issue that I was strongly supporting, the issue that... I support the absolute most was uh, the potential closing of Willow Ridge High School and the Fort Bend Independent School District, and I'll still continue to talk about that. So as I looked at the show and the direction it was going and the following, I realized that there were a lot of people who actually wanted to hear the show one time, and they wanted to hear everything. It was hard for them to keep up two to three days a week trying to catch all of the different segments if you wanted to catch them live. And so it thought, well, let's combine the segments. Let's kind of pre-produce them and do a new format, and let's see what happens. So the, the show was designed to go into hiatus only two or three weeks as we remixed it. And then just a plethora of things happened that it extended the two to three weeks to really two months. So I thank you so very much for sticking with me, Jennifer Tebow, um, as we remixed it. Now, what we've done is we put them all together. So on this first show, because of the current events, I kind of changed up the entire lineup last minute. I actually had a mostly prepared show that I previously recorded, and I was going to play that most of the time and have some limited live segments. But... If you, as long as you've not been under a rock, then you realize there have been a lot of things that have been happening uh, 
uh, in the news lately. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to change up the format of the very first show. That's about right. And do the entire thing live. And so, uh, you, so you get me the entire show. But I do want you to dial in. That's really, really important. If you want to catch this show, if you're, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio and you want to dial in, dial in phone number is 347-637-1837. Again, that is 347-637-1837. But that's the same number for those who are who are watching this live on Ustream. So if you want to dial into the show, use that same number. I'll say it one more time because, you know, I'm going to take the same name, Aggie. I like to hear his name more than once. 347-637-1837. That's how you connect with me. Hopefully, we'll be able to broadcast the entire time. Uh, I am, as many of you know, in, in the Dallas, Texas area, we've got ridiculous storms. I feel like I've been kind of ducking and dodging lightning bolts. And so um, I figured as long as I still have electricity, then I will continue on with the show as planned to kick off the Jennifer Tebow show. So welcome Ustream and my blog talk listeners. Um, If you want to tell a friend and they missed it, they can catch it on Ustream, on blog talk radio, and even within iTunes. We get this push. We get the show pushed out in the iTunes as as a featured show. So that's that's what it is. So it's going to be just fast and furious and fun, but it will be an entire hour. All right. So what made me change up this format at the last minute of the first show? That's usually you know makes people a little curious about the show. Well, it's politics, and I'm not usually wanting to always talk about politics, uh, but this is kind of big. This is a big one. So everybody right now, absolutely everybody in in the, in the news and media, they're talking about Osama bin Laden and you know the fact that he is now gone, that that he is dead. And so um, while I was watching, I have to tell you selfishly, while I was watching uh, Brothers and Sisters on ABC, as I do most Sundays, it's the tail end of the show. There's ten minutes left, and all of a sudden, this breaking news, and I'm just going. This cannot be good, and it actually made me extremely nervous because I was going, what are they about to say? And all of a sudden they come on, and, and you know, I forgot who the reporter was, but he comes on and, and says, you know, we've got news that Osama bin Laden has been killed, and we're going to have a message from the president. And so I just thought, wow, you know, really, what what is this? That's kind of amazing. So I, what I did, uh, thanks to uh, the White House and what they push out on YouTube for the purpose of media to share information, uh, I have in its entirety uh, President Obama's speech. And I do want to play that because if you missed it, it's, it's talked with so many facts. I thought it was really, really important for you to be able to hear it. So I am going to play his speech uh, right now. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. It was nearly 10 years ago that a bright September day was darkened by the worst attack on the American people in our history. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. Hijacked planes cutting through a cloudless September sky, the Twin Towers collapsing to the ground, black smoke 
billowing up from the Pentagon, the wreckage of Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where the actions of heroic citizens saved even more heartbreak and destruction. And yet we know that the worst images are those that were unseen to the world. The empty seat at the dinner table, children who were forced to grow up without their mother or their father, parents who would never know the feeling of their child's embrace, nearly 3,000 citizens taken from us, leaving a gaping hole in our hearts. On September 11, 2001, in our time of grief, the American people came together. We offered our neighbors a hand, and we offered the wounded our blood. We reaffirmed our ties to each other and our love of community and country. On that day, no matter where we came from, what God we prayed to, or what race or ethnicity we were, we were united as one American family. We were also united in our resolve to protect our nation and to bring those who committed this vicious attack to justice. We quickly learned that the 9-11 attacks were carried out by Al-Qaeda, an organization headed by Osama bin Laden, which had openly declared war on the United States and was committed to killing innocents in our country and around the globe. And so we went to war against Al-Qaeda to protect our citizens, our friends, and our allies. Over the last 10 years, thanks to the tireless and heroic work of our military and our counterterrorism professionals, we've made great strides in that effort. We've disrupted terrorist attacks and strengthened our homeland defense. In Afghanistan, we removed the Taliban government, which had given bin Laden and al-Qaeda safe haven and support. And around the globe, we worked with our friends and allies to capture or kill scores of al-Qaeda terrorists, including several who were a part of the 9-11 plot. Yet Osama bin Laden avoided capture and escaped across the Afghan border into Pakistan. Meanwhile, al-Qaeda continued to operate from along that border and operate through its affiliates across the world. And so shortly after taking office, I directed Leon Panetta, the director of the CIA, to make the killing or capture of bin Laden the top priority of our war against al-Qaeda, even as we continued our broader efforts to disrupt, dismantle, and defeat his network. Then, last August, after years of painstaking work by our intelligence community, I was briefed on a possible lead to bin Laden. It was far from certain, and it took many months to run this thread to ground. I met repeatedly with my national security team as we developed more information about the possibility that we had located bin Laden hiding within a compound deep inside Pakistan. And finally, last week, I determined that we had enough intelligence to take action and authorized an operation to get Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. Today, at my direction, the United States launched a targeted operation against that compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. A small team of Americans carried out the operation with extraordinary courage and capability. No Americans were harmed. They took care to avoid civilian casualties. After a firefight, they killed Osama bin Laden and took custody of his body. For over two decades, bin Laden has been al-Qaeda's leader and symbol and has continued to plot attacks against our country and our friends and allies. 
The death of bin Laden marks the most significant achievement to date in our nation's effort to defeat al-Qaeda. Yet his death does not mark the end of our effort. There is no doubt that al-Qaeda will continue to pursue attacks against us. We must and we will remain vigilant at home and abroad. As we do, we must also reaffirm that the United States is not and never will be at war with Islam. I've made clear, just as President Bush did shortly after 9-11, that our war is not against Islam. Bin Laden was not a Muslim leader. He was a mass murderer of Muslims. Indeed, al-Qaeda has slaughtered scores of Muslims in many countries, including our own. So his demise should be welcomed by all who believe in peace and human dignity. Over the years, I've repeatedly made clear that we would take action within Pakistan if we knew where bin Laden was. That is what we've done. But it's important to note that our counterterrorism cooperation with Pakistan helped lead us to bin Laden and the compound where he was hiding. Indeed, bin Laden had declared war against Pakistan as well and ordered attacks against the Pakistani people. Tonight, I called President Zardari, and my team has also spoken with their Pakistani counterparts. They agree that this is a good and historic day for both of our nations. And going forward, it is essential that Pakistan continue to join us in the fight against al-Qaeda and its affiliates. The American people did not choose this fight. It came to our shores and started with the senseless slaughter of our citizens. After nearly 10 years of service, struggle, and sacrifice, we know well the costs of war. These efforts weigh on me every time I, as Commander-in-Chief, have to sign a letter to a family that has lost a loved one, or look into the eyes of a service member who's been gravely wounded. So Americans understand the costs of war. Yet, as a country, we will never tolerate our security being threatened, nor stand idly by when our people have been killed. We will be relentless in defense of our citizens and our friends and allies. We will be true to the values that make us who we are. And on nights like this one, we can say to those families who have lost loved ones to al-Qaeda's terror, justice has been done. Tonight, we give thanks to the countless intelligence and counterterrorism professionals who've worked tirelessly to achieve this outcome. The American people do not see their work nor know their names, but tonight they feel the satisfaction of their work and the result of their pursuit of justice. We give thanks for the men who carried out this operation, for they exemplify the professionalism, patriotism, and unparalleled courage of those who serve our country. And they are part of a generation that has borne the heaviest share of the burden since that September day. Finally, let me say to the families who lost loved ones on 9-11 that we have never forgotten your loss, nor wavered in our commitment to see that we do whatever it takes to prevent another attack on our shores. And tonight, let us think back to the sense of unity that prevailed on 9-11. I know that it has at times sprayed. Yet today's achievement is a testament to the greatness of our country and the determination of the American people. The cause of securing our country is not complete, but tonight we are once again reminded that America can do whatever we set our mind to. 
That is the story of our history. Whether it's the pursuit of prosperity for our people or the struggle for equality for all our citizens, our commitment to stand up for our values abroad, and our sacrifices to make the world a safer place. Let us remember that we can do these things not just because of wealth or power, but because of who we are, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. All right. So that was the official address that President Obama uh, gave last night around uh, starting around 9.55 Central Standard Time uh, to be able to tell the citizens of the United States and really to acknowledge to the world uh, what had happened. Um, it was kind of a surreal moment for me. Um, you know, you just, you, of course, immediately have your flashbacks of 9-11 and the tragedy that struck and it just puts you right back in that moment like I'm going to have yet another moment of being able to recount where I was when I realized this major news you know that was actually happening and so you know it just it truly it's still kind of shocking Um, and so I will tell you what I did you know I went back kind of in my mind and said okay what were all the events from really 10 years ago that led up to this moment um, that still seems like it's like it's part of a, a dream or, or really a bad nightmare. And, of course, we had the attacks of, of 9-11, you know, the first time in, in my history of being on this earth that I saw us being attacked as a country and really being taken off guard. Um, there was so much fear um, just not even only in New York, but everywhere on who was going to be a target next. And you had a lot of vulnerability that all of a sudden stepped in to the everyday person. Uh, everything changed at that moment. And, you know, and then we fast forward not too terribly long after that. We had our president at the time, George W. Bush, who convinced, you know, everyone, which it didn't take much convincing then, um, that we needed to go to war to defend ourselves and to attack and to stop, you know, to try to eliminate any future attacks like this that, you know, that that a group was, was cooking up. We knew then Osama bin Laden, you know, was, was the responsible organizer of these terrorist attacks, uh, but we couldn't find him. And to make it worse, he was releasing videos to point out that he was still around, showing newspapers, uh, current newspapers, so, you know, really almost taunting us um, as a nation to say, yes, I killed your loved one, and you still can't find me, and I'm still going to continue on with my mission. Uh, It's really a rather scary time to see exactly how you orchestrated that. And then you fast forward a little bit further and realize we just couldn't find this man. There were so many reports. He was in the desert. He was sick. He would he would kind of go on the ground for a while and you wouldn't see him. And there were reports of maybe, you know, he had was a kidney failure and maybe he was dying. And then he just would resurface. And you just go, wow. So then all of a sudden we shifted to Saddam Hussein, that you know, he was the one we wanted. It was weapons of mass destruction. And at that time in the United States, many people felt a little hoodwinked and bamboozled 
by where our anger and our rage should be directed. But, you know, we settled for finding Saddam Hussein. And so we found him, tried him. Obviously, he was guilty. You know, and then all of a sudden, we get President, you know, Barack Obama, who comes into office and who says, you know, in in very certain terms, that this is a priority uh, of his administration to be able to find Osama bin Laden. Now, the 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 Al Qaeda, for those of you all who don't know, it's not a hierarchy; it is a network. Meaning, while Osama bin Laden had a great level of influence over that network, it's not like he was the president of Al Qaeda. Uh, so, you know, getting Osama bin Laden. Uh, puts a major dent in the leadership and the influence of that network. But what uh, President Obama talked about, and you, you'll hear many people talk about it in the media, and many of our our leaders in the United States, it's not over. Al-Qaeda is not going to shrivel up and die because they were a network with other influential leaders. And so our intelligence is getting better, it seems. Our intelligence is getting stronger. And so I have no doubt that this will lead to uh, additional captures and, in some instances, perhaps uh, murders of some of the people in that in those different cells and a part of that network. But he said he made it a priority. You know, I loved what he talked about, the fact that, you know, we're not going to extend a lot of efforts in Pakistan in particular unless we have all the intelligence that we need to go in and really get it done. And that's what he said. And that's exactly what happened, and they quietly, you know, went through and did it. Now, as I reflected on all of that, I took to Facebook. I was like, you know, I'm a Facebook, Twitter person. You all know me very well by now. I went to Facebook, and I said, you know, you know, at that time, about, oh, 100 people were starting to form at the White House, outside the gates, obviously, and in celebration. And I thought, you know, I I can respect and understand the celebration because the death of Osama bin Laden is a symbol to us in the United States of closure and that we got the person that got us. But at the end of the day, and I, and I will tell you my opinion, and I'd love if you wanted to dial in and throw your opinion out there too. Again, if you do want to dial in, just throw it out there, uh, 347-637-1837. I mean, the man died, and, you know, I feel like everybody's a child of God, and no matter how much evil that they do on this earth, they were created for good purposes, even though they may have chosen to do bad. So I do have a hard time rejoicing over the death of anybody. Um, and because I throw God in the mix for me, then I'm a forgiving person. So, you know, I, with my religion, and I'm Catholic, you know, had to forgive Osama bin Laden uh, for his ways, I'll never forget, but I do have to forgive. Uh, we can't hold those kinds of things and carry that kind of burden uh, when I believe that there's a divine intervention that will take care of all the punishment and the worst punishment that we could ever imagine. So I put it on Facebook, and so I had a myriad of responses. And I basically said, I don't want to rejoice. I don't want to rejoice a man that died. I don't want to celebrate that. Uh, I do want to celebrate the fact that we're making progress 
with and with a network that is trying to do us harm. That's a huge celebration. But I'm not going to celebrate the death of a person. That's that's just not right. Just as much as it was disgusting, and you know, for September 11th in 2001, when we saw people on you know on on other lands, you know, across the water celebrating when our towers fell, as disgusting as that was to watch. I think, you know, we can't be those same people. We can't be like them. We cannot be just like them. So that really was my statement um, on Facebook. And, again, I respect everybody on Facebook, and the statements were were, were up and down. I say up and down. I should say more of a spectrum. Um, but, you know, it just remains to be seen. Uh, they did mention that they wanted to show the body of Osama bin Laden to prove that he's dead. Uh, you know, I mean, how morbid do we want to get here? Um, I understand, you know, I didn't have a family member that I lost in September 11th, um, so I can understand that you maybe want some closure, but I just, you know, I think beyond that, you still got to realize that one dead man today won't bring back those 2000 from 10 years ago. Um, so I just, you know, I just, I pray for all of us that we can continue to heal. Obviously, we have not healed as a nation and it will be a long time until we do. All right, so now we've got from one evildoer to the next, right? We've got Gaddafi here. So I feel like the United States, we're really sniffing out, like, all of these evildoers around the world. So we, uh, over the past few days, Gaddafi's son was killed. Um, he is trying to strengthen what he's doing by the intelligence that I'm seeing. Uh, so Muammar Gaddafi, uh, Gaddafi is very, very dangerous. So we have to be aware of that. I just want to throw that out there. I'm going to move on to the next topic. But did you hear that his soldiers are, that they're finding his soldiers have Viagra in their pockets, that there is a wild rumor that suggests that he is promoting mass raping. And so in order for his soldiers to do that, <laughs> They're taking Viagra, and I'm just going, you know, if it's true, that's ridiculous and disgusting, but if it's not, how do you come up with that rumor? I mean, if they, in fact, are finding those pills. So all I have to say is, you know, this world needs um, an, an organized manner and intelligence to truly find the evildoers, we need it. So I do thank President Obama for taking that strong leadership and keeping it a priority because we got some crazy evildoers out there. I mean, really, really crazy evildoers. So I'm very, very happy uh, just to see us be very vigilant in trying to protect our people. Um, all right, so speaking of the White House, all right, speaking of the White House, there was a White House correspondence dinner. And if you haven't heard or gone to see the video, please, by all means, go out to YouTube.com. Uh, C-SPAN has the original set of videos, and there's already been a bunch that have come out where the people have cut snippets of them. If you go to C-SPAN's uh, YouTube channel, they have the, the snippets of the White House Correspondents Dinner in their entirety. Uh, it's really good footage. Um, I took snippets, audio snippets from that footage because it was just so doggone interesting. I, I just didn't know what else to do. So uh, let me tell you what happened. 
when President Obama first comes up to address all of the media that attended, and it was very, very well attended, I want to play for you um, exactly what was played uh, when he walked out. So, you know, this is minus a video, but I'm going to just play because there's an interesting audio portion. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. United States. 
All right. So in his address, by the way, you know, as he came out to I Am an American, he really delivered like this 18-plus minute address that was, I thought was quite spirited. And, you know, and this event is designed, by the way, to be this celebratory and expensive event for, for White House and and uh, correspondence of the president. So White House correspondence and correspondence also and media that covered things of the president. So, I mean, you had everybody there, Fox, MSNBC, NPR, everybody was there. And, you know, all the fun ones like Fox got picked on a little bit, and that was kind of fun too. Uh, but what I thought was fun and interesting in that 18 minutes, President Obama took the opportunity to talk uh, about the potential candidates about the potential presidential candidates that may be trying to run against him. And so I want to play that audio for you so you can hear actually what he's saying. Michelle Bachman is here, though, I understand. Uh, and she is thinking about running for president, which is weird because I hear she was born in Canada. <laughs> yes, Michelle, this is how it starts. Tim Pawlenty, he seems all-American, but if you heard his real middle name, Tim Hosni Pawlenty, what a shame. My buddy, our outstanding ambassador, John Huntsman, is with us. Now, there's something you might not know about John. Uh, he didn't learn to speak Chinese to go there. Oh, no. He learned English to come here. And then... There's a vicious rumor floating around that I think could really hurt Mitt Romney. I heard he passed universal health care when he was governor of Massachusetts. <laughs> Someone should get to the bottom of that. And I know just the guy to do it, Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, I, I absolutely love President Obama for never shying away from that elephant in the room. I think sometimes in the United States in particular, our culture says it's okay not to talk about the biggest, you know, largest, most brightly colored elephant in the room, uh, but that's something we've got to get out of doing. Now, speaking of talking, if you want to dial in, the phone number to dial in is 347-637-1837. Again, that is 347-637-1837. That's how you catch up with me on the show, if you just want to listen, you know, and let's say like you're driving to work, I know this is work time, then you can dial that phone number just so you can listen. That's not a problem either. Didn't That doesn't put you automatically on. You've got to press a button to say, hey, I want to get on the air. So 347-637-1837, that's how you get on to the show on the audio, whether you are listening in on Blog Talk Radio uh, dialed in on the computer, or if you are watching this through Ustream. Hi to my Ustream people. Uh, so that's it. So, you know, the Donald was actually there. Mr. Donald Trump uh, did attend 
and there were a lot of things that were addressed directly to him. He took some of it as a good sport, some of it uh, not so much. And so I also, I'm just all about the audio today. Um, I actually have the audio for what President Obama said, particularly about Donald Trump. So let's listen and see what President Obama said. Donald Trump is here tonight. Now, I know that he's taken some flack lately. But no one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? All kidding aside, obviously we all know about your credentials and breadth of experience. Um, for example, uh, no, seriously, just recently in an episode of Celebrity Apprentice at the steakhouse, the men's cooking team uh, did not impress the judges from Omaha Steaks. And there was a lot of blame to go around, but you, Mr. Trump, recognized that the real problem was a lack of leadership. And so ultimately, you didn't blame Little John or Meatloaf. You fired Gary Busey. And these are the kind of decisions that would keep me up at night. Well handled. Hilarious. When I tell you that I was like almost in tears when I was watching it, because I just thought, you know, the way these things work, they normally have a comedian. So you're sitting there going, what is the comedian? What is there left, possibly left for a comedian? You know, what could it be? Well, you know, lo and behold, uh, the big comedian for the night that came up to address the, the group was Seth Meyers. And if you don't know who Seth Meyers is, uh, he's this, uh, and I don't even, don't even want to use up and coming because he really is this seasoned uh, comedian, but he's uh, he is the head writer at Saturday Night Live as well as one of the cast members. Um, if you keep up with the show uh, Regis and Kelly, he filled it, he fills in for Regis. He just did it recently, I want to say last week. But just a hilarious guy. His comedic timing, I think, is perfect. He fits so well into Saturday Night Live and to just keep that show fresh as a writer as well as a cast member. And so, you know, he gave a 20-minute address. And so he addressed everything from different elements of media to, you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, the president. He even, you know, touched on the president. So, you know, he really left no stone unturned for this one. And so, you know, I had to talk about or I had to snag a snippet. Again, this is all thanks to C-SPAN 
on YouTube, so definitely go check out their their entire uh, video coverage of it. But he talked to the Donald in particular. And, you know, what President Obama didn't say, uh, Seth Meyers said it. So, yes, that's right. I have the audio of what Seth Meyers said as well. So I just want you to listen in and just, as as Wendy Williams would say, just luxuriate in the comments. And then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. <laughs> Donald Trump often appears on Fox, which is ironic because a fox often appears on Donald Trump's head. and post table with Trump and you can't finish your entree, don't worry, the fox will eat it. <laughs> and if I can for a moment talk about the birther issue, when did we get so suspicious about where people were born? A USA Today poll last week said 38% of Americans think the president was definitely born in the U.S. In the same poll, in the very same poll, only 5% more said Donald Trump was definitely born in the U.S. Has it reached the point where Americans only think something was ha someone was born here if they saw it? I know I was born here, and I know my younger brother was born here. But when it comes to my older brother, I can only take him at his word. <laughs> Gary Busey said recently that Donald Trump would make a great president. Of course, he said the same thing about an old rusty birdcage he found. owns the Miss USA pageant, which is great for Republicans because it will streamline their search for a vice president. <laughs> Donald Trump said recently he has a great relationship with the blacks, though unless the blacks are a family of white people, I bet he's mistaken. When I tell you that joke about the blacks, um, that one... It even turned President Obama's face red. It was so funny. So, you know, if that if that joke kind of went over your head, or I guess according to Seth, if you're Donald, over your fox, if it went over your head, uh, Donald Trump managed to say he had a really good relationship with the blacks. And this is a man who says that you know, he wants to run for president. So like Seth said, while he had a lot of jokes in there, uh, all jokes aside, it, it does seem like a joke that uh, that Donald Trump wants to run for president. I think he thinks he has a chance. Because usually you're thinking people run because they believe they have a chance, some sort of chance. And, and I'm sure a lot of people put their name in the hat, right? But when you, when you start to put a lot of emphasis and energy around questioning the president, and, you know, starting to talk about issues. Many, by the way, if you've ever listened to uh, Donald Trump talk about political issues, things that are happening around the world, it's rather confusing to me. Um, I get more confused listening to him than anybody else. I almost think Flava Flav could explain Gaddafi. And, you know, all that's happening in Libya much better than Donald Trump. Uh, not to, you know, not to slight him, 
but it just his delivery, the way he delivered. Now, he might understand everything perfectly in his head, but he's not able to get that in his mouth and project that out at all. So um, it will be interesting to see but because the Donald did say that he was going to announce if he was going to make a run for president on the season finale of Celebrity Apprentice. So, you know, go figure. It's probably all about ratings, but I'm sure he will get a ton of them. I'm sure he'll get a ton of ratings. Now, speaking of that, if you want to dial into the show, you can do that by dialing 347-637-1837, 347-637-1837. So, uh, again, please, if you haven't seen the White House Correspondents' Dinner, uh, go to YouTube.com, go to C-SPAN's uh, YouTube channel and check out. They have it in its entirety. It is the best comedy I promise you that you will absolutely ever hear. Uh, it is even more rewarding to appreciate the laughter and just the the relaxation of that event now that we do know that Osama bin Laden has has been killed. And so um, it just kind of says, well, they they are working hard. You know, they are truly working hard to try to protect us in multiple ways. And I changed. As this this will be my last comment about the political aspects of this show. But, you know, change, yes, we can, was not quick change. Um, President Obama, then, you know, then a presidential candidate, uh, didn't promise fast change. He promised that change would occur. And I do think he has kept that as a priority, and we do see that in action. So I'm just thrilled to continue to watch the progress of the administration, the, the progress of all the people that we have voted in, um, into office so that they can protect us both physically and financially in the United States and as well as from an education standpoint. All right, so I'm going to flip the script for a moment. Normally I wouldn't spend so much time on two topics, but those were two big ones. But let's talk sports for just a moment, particularly the NFL. So the NFL lockout, I mean, this is like, you, you know how uh, I believe it's all my children and one life to live are about to say goodbye to the TV world. Um, who needs those soap operas when you have the NFL? Uh, you know, I was trying to think of great names for the ups and downs in the soap opera that that we've seen. You know, as the ball turns, uh, you know, who knows? Well, you know, as in, as you guys may already know or figured out, I am doing filming a documentary called Calling an Audible, so I'm really happy about that that documentary. Um, it's designed to show the physical and financial impact of life after football. So it's showing a segment of it. And I have a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it's a segment. They're going to want to talk about the active players. Just got to throw that out, this out here because it's really important, and you're going to hear me say it a lot of times as I continue to do this show. Active NFL players, 1900. Retired NFL players, 22,000. 1,900, 22,000. I am interested in the 22,000 because I can't believe that we don't talk about the 22,000. And so that's really what that documentary is talking about. But here's what we have. So if you follow the ups and the downs, you know, players haven't been the happiest. The active players, if you want to look at what's in the media, the active players haven't been the happiest because it seemed like their interests weren't necessarily well represented. The concept of the NFL Players Association, NFLPA, decertifying 
uh, seemed strange and different because there were no active players that had been through the last recertification in the 80s. So, but they're following their leader, Demora Smith, D. Smith, and they, in fact, decertified. The owners, in fact, locked the players out. Uh, in the process, there was a ruling that, you know, that this, you know that this uh, insurance money is what I call it, which was the TV money, four four billion dollars, uh, that it could not be touched by the owners during this period of time. So it was thought that the owners were saying, "Yeah, we'll lock you out. We're okay because we have this guaranteed money for for TV broadcasting, whether it's football or not." And then all of a sudden, when a judge kind of you know put that money in a lockbox, basically, now the owners you know had less less leverage. So the so the players decertified. They did file you know class action lawsuit. So then all of a sudden you know this this became you know this work it was a work stoppage and it became an issue of is it legal to lock out the players? And when I say lock out, we mean really lock them out. They can't physically go into the arena. They can't you know talk to coaches. Can't have any organized anything. Touch a playbook. Receive treatment. None of that stuff. And so finally, the judge, one of the judges in this, you know, in this case, came back and said, "You're correct. It is illegal. You can't lock the players out." So they lifted the lockout, and then all of a sudden, the owner said, "Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're going to appeal it." So you know, maybe the players can't come in. So all of a sudden, some players started coming in, and they were turned away. That made them furious. I talked to a few of them myself, and I couldn't even. There were so many words, and they're speaking so fast. That I couldn't even beep it fast enough to be able to play it um, on on air. But Lemus would say they were a little bit upset, and so you know, so players were reporting that they were being turned away. Owners were saying we're going to appeal. Then all of a sudden they're asking if it's a temporary stay, if it's a permanent stay. What is going to happen? So a lot of confusion, a lot of legal terms, and a lot of players don't understand. Unfortunately, the communication structure is not as strong as it should be. For players, so it's tough for them to to really get a good understanding as to what's going on. So then, all of a sudden, there's you know a ruling that says, oh, okay, yeah, no, no, we really are locked out. <laughs> We're going back to the lockout. So now, so then players are like, well, what's going on? And then you now start getting worried. Well, we're not quite locked out yet, but we're probably going to be locked out. <laughs> That's the biggest soap opera in the world. You just have to ask yourself if they spent as much energy on determining if there was going to be a lockout with then just saying, what do we need to do to get it done? You know, if we've got to put our greed to the side, if everybody has to put our greed to the side, can we do that to get the deal done? All they are is a negotiation away. But it's got to be a good negotiation. And they can't have a good one if they bring greed to the table. And that's both sides. That's absolutely both sides. Unfortunately, I'm still not very confident with the leadership that the players have that are representing them. Uh, as many people know, I'm not a fan of DeMora Smith. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not a fan of him. Um, I don't see that his leadership has done a lot of good and, and progress for the players. So, you know, here they are. Confused as ever, you know, this is as the world turns. I get Google alerts for anything that pops up, NFL and CBA, and I, I, I tell you I get 15 alerts every day, no less than, of the different articles that start popping up. And it's just, oh, God bless the people, you know, the active person in the NFL. But just know, and I know 
several of you guys listen to my show, please just know that you're not only fighting for your rights for next season, you're fighting for your rights when you're 55 years old and you need a hip replacement and you may not have the, the regular income money that some people could have, then you may not have it. So everything you're fighting for is for to the day you die, everything that you're fighting for. And that's really it's an important message for people to know, um, not just the players, but you know, it is bigger than just the entertainment of football. Uh, switching only because an hour, look, I had a whole hour that goes by so fast. So switching to the NBA, the NBA playoffs. Uh, have you been keeping up? I've been keeping up a little bit, not as much as I probably should. Um, kind of focused a lot on on football and and that soap opera, so I haven't been able to watch the uh, soap opera of the NBA playoffs nearly as much as I would like to. But let me say something exciting because you know that I live in the Dallas uh, Fort Worth area. Dallas made it to the second round of playoffs. I I think. Hold on. I think that definitely deserves. They actually made it to the second round of playoffs. Now, you know, the Mavericks are a much better team than, you know, being excited about, oh, they just made the second round. Except for the fact that they haven't been able to get out of the second, I mean, they haven't been able to get out of the first round since they, I'm not going to say they threw the championship away, because that would not be very nice. Uh, I'll just say that it looked we were planning a parade in Dallas, and all of a sudden we were standing there, totally stunned, with the Miami Heat celebrating on our court in Game Six. So you can call it give it away, you can call it whatever you want, but it was like the tail of two teams. Uh, it was really something sad to see. Uh, to, in 2006, to the Heat's credit. They had a good squad. They had a great coach. So I'm not saying that a bad team won. It's just that our team was looking so great then that it was just shocking to actually see. Uh, but fast forward, they they you know had a I'd say one heck of a time with Portland, uh, a harder time than I thought that they would have. Uh, but they did win um, that series, and so now they've moved on to playing the Los Angeles Lakers, so we'll see how that goes. I would love nothing better than to see the Mavericks whoop up on the Lakers and just get the Lakers out of it, and let's see if the Mavericks can make a run out of the West uh, for for um, maybe getting that championship that I thought they were going to get in 2006. Uh, Memphis is just strong-arming people. I mean, it's just kind of interesting to watch Memphis as well. So uh, that's going to be the uh, team to watch. And you know, now we're down to eight teams. So we've got pretty much two games every day to uh, to watch. Now you look out on the east, and, of course, everybody's interested in the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And, you know, I said I don't think the Heat are real contenders, honestly. I, I really would have thought Orlando, who's been eliminated now, that Orlando would have been a contender. They would have been a contender. But um, they went fishing early. And so um, the Miami Heat played the Boston Celtics, and it was kind of fascinating just to watch. Um, but what I saw uh, in that first game um I don't think the Boston Celtics have all the weapons that they need against 
the Miami Heat. Now, the Celtics have some injuries that they're contending with, but it's, I just don't like the matchup, to be honest with you. I still I think the Celtics are a better team, but the matchup just didn't look like it was there. So um, that's going to be a straight gutted out type of series as well, and hopefully we'll see the return of the, of, of the diesel of Shaquille O'Neal. Wait, no, he's the uh, big shamrock in Boston. So hopefully we will see the return of the big shamrock. So I'm keeping a watch eye. Next week I will have a segment, whether it's previously recorded or live, where I'll bring in some familiar voices, and I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to make promises and something happens. But I've got some familiar voices that are scheduled to do some, just some little snippets for me for next week. So I want you to dial in next time. Uh, 347-637-1837 is the dial in. I've got three minutes left. So you might not dial in this time, but I do want you to dial in at some point in time uh, on the show. All right. So the final things in the last three minutes, I do want to talk about um, education really quickly. Uh, Willow Ridge High School, again, I mentioned that um, at the top of the show. Willow Ridge High School, is they're fighting for their life. What's really important right now, just for those people who are listening in the area of Missouri City area that have the opportunity to vote, if you're in Fort Bend, to a vote for the upcoming leadership, who you vote for helps to make decisions on whether Willowridge and other schools are on the chopping block really stay around. So this upcoming vote is really important. So it's important to rock the vote. Um, for more information about the happenings, uh, keepwillowridgeopen.com is still a very good website. If you're alumni um, of Willow Ridge, then there's a special group that's been created, Willow Ridge Alumni, on Facebook. So please check that out as well. Um, it's not about keeping – I will tell you this. For me, it's not about keeping the school I went to open. That's that's not important. That's ego-driven. It's about keeping a good school and that community open that can do some good and create good people that can do good things in that community and give back. That's why I'm fighting for that school to stay in that community. I don't want to know what happens if all of a sudden you pull that kind of goodness, that kind of goodness out of that community. So it's really important that in your community, even though if you don't live in that area you think it doesn't mean anything to you, there's a school in your area that something like this is potentially happening. So it's important for you to stay involved and stay on top of it. Uh, the high school dropout rate, you know, is is alarming. What's really alarming is the number of total high school dropouts that we have every year, which is about 4 million students. And that's about a one high school dropout every 26 seconds. So we are losing the battle of knowledge, and we're, and we're losing the battle of intelligence now with a, with a large group of students, and we've got to take that back and be very serious about it. The way to take it back is through your vote, through your conversations, you know, with with your politicians, with people in your community, at your church, and with your children. And it's very important to be serious about making sure that we get intelligence in, infused back into the school system. And so uh, with that, 60 seconds left, I cannot thank you enough for rejoining me for the real, uh, not the real Jenny, see, I can't even stop saying it, for the Jennifer Tebow show. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. I'll start doing some unique things with the Ustream, but I kept it kind of still the behind-the-scenes kind of side camera angle. You can always catch me live now every 
Monday morning, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Central Standard Time. Or if it's too early or that's in the middle of your hustle and bustle, which I know normally that would be for me too, then you can always catch me on demand on Blog Talk Radio, on Ustream.tv, as well as on iTunes. I can't thank you enough for letting me come into your airwaves this morning. I want you to have a fantastic Monday, and let's just start talking about what is important for us in life. I'll see you guys next Monday.